Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the fuckadelics? What's happening? I am Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. How are you? Good morning to you. Good evening. Good afternoon. Hope things are at least livable for you. I hope everything's okay, as okay as things can be. I, I can't help but be like so much more present everything is very visceral to me in my life everything's very like i can smell and taste and feel everything a lot better especially since i took twitter off my phone number one reconnected me but also the complete destabilization of the planet on a governmental level and in other levels it's weird once that uh, really kicks in everything is very immediate very present the the panic and the terror and the anger and the uh, not knowing really can make a, a sandwich taste better, can really make some eggs pop off a plate for you, can really make every little thing in your life seem like at any moment it could all be taken away. That said, the holidays are coming up. The new WTF cap mugs are available from Brian Jones up in Portland. These are the same mugs I give to my guests. They go on sale at 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific today. Go to brianrjones.com to get yours. And we just got in the new Carnegie Hall posters, those hand-printed, beautiful posters from my Carnegie Hall show, which really didn't, uh, didn't have a chance to really sell them. Everything moved too quickly. So I got a lot of them. Uh, there's a lot of posters over at WTFpod.com. Uh, you need to order it by today, though. If you want those posters for Christmas presents, get the order in today, December 12th, uh, to make sure it gets to you or whoever you're sending it to by Christmas. Okay? You got that? Clear? Also, new tour dates. Hopefully, these will be on the site by the time you hear this, but... Uh, they're not new. Some of them are rescheduled. Some of them are new. I am announcing the continuation of the uh, Two Real Tour heading out into the spring. I've got dates coming up in uh, Tallahassee, Florida, Durham, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, Ridgefield, Connecticut, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Montreal, Quebec, Toronto, Ontario, New Haven, Connecticut, Troy, New York, Burlington, Vermont, Oakland, California, Seattle, Washington, Vancouver, 
B.C., Austin, Texas, Boulder, Colorado, Denver, Colorado, Portland, Oregon, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Philadelphia, PA, and Washington, D.C. I didn't even realize I was doing that many dates, but I am. I am doing that many dates, and uh, that might be it. That might be the, the last run, the final run. I, uh, what, what else is happening? Casey Affleck is on the show in a little while. Talk to him about acting, family, that stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll say more about that in just a minute. Oh, and I talked about, this is a coincidence, but maybe it's not a coincidence. I don't know. Maybe, maybe people are listening that I don't realize. Because after I talked about Tom Petty being a great American bonding, <laughs> for better or for worse, not on Tom's part, of course, but uh, who doesn't like Tom Petty, if you heard that riff I did at the beginning of the show a while back, out of nowhere, Secret Santa sent me uh, both of the box sets, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, complete vinyl box sets, one and two, and it's fucking unbelievable. It was like this gift from from the, the, the I don't know where, I don't want to say from God, the coincidence is pretty, is not lost on me. Obviously, it was just released, and obviously, someone in the industry said Mark needs this because uh, maybe he'll like it and say how much he liked it. Not a paid promo, but fuck, man, to have those first five records, a new fresh minted vinyl that still smells like the press, listening to those first three albums for me specifically, and Wildflowers in the second box. Oh, my God. Whew. What a relief. So, I'm becoming a, a fairly, on some level, traditional old Jew. I, you know, I don't, I like to admit it, but I think in every, every young Jew, every infant Jew, there's an old Jew just already built in, waiting to take over the body, waiting to fill it out. But he's in there. He's in there and conscious and has been talking on and off for years. They, they come out in moments where you're like, oh, that's, uh, that's what I'm going to be. That guy that just said that, yeah, he's waiting. He's waiting to, uh, to, to fill up this body. I just got to hold him down until it becomes a, a natural process. But like, you know, what you just heard when I just went, oh, God, I got, hold on. I got to sit down for a second. That, that, that guy, he's just hanging out waiting to uh so he can be all of me and as we head into a, a fairly guaranteed dark unknown i'm becoming a little more suicidal with my food choices like well fuck it i'm just gonna eat this shit what difference is it made? i got it you know what i mean why have i been denying myself everything what's the point gotta enjoy it now where the joy is uh yeah, has so much more of a profound effect in comforting me. I will go and do, like after I did my show last night, I did three shows at the Comedy Store. Me and my buddy Jerry Stahl, uh, we have a thing. If we go out and do the, the comedy, he hangs out with me. We go to Cantor's Deli and we sit and we do it. We get, we get the food. And I know like there's things when you go into a deli, if you come from that, if it's part of your past, if you understand the culture of delis, you want your thing the way you want it, but that is understood. I worked at a deli after college in West Roxbury, Massachusetts, and the type of special ordering people would do was appropriate to the menu, but each 
person had their way, you know, fatty, lean, heel of the bread, pancake style eggs, onions grilled well, no onions. I want it burnt. I want it browned. I want it. Is it fresh? Is it from the middle? Can you toast it twice? The deli was the one place people went to get exactly what they wanted, even if it makes the counter guy, who was me, crazy. I was the counter guy. You learn how to navigate the requests and negotiate the desires of these people. It's almost a Talmudic discussion getting to the truth of the meal for that person. I know my deli meal truths. Okay. I know them. And now, now that, uh, you know, since the election, you know, a futility has descended with the darkness that makes eating what you want at the cost of time off the back end a priority and a true pleasure and a true comfort. Everything is very tangible, very visceral to me. Now, here, here's the thing. I made the mistake of not requesting the waiter I like. I don't usually do that because I trust most of the crusty servers at Cantor's. And my guy, he's not a crusty guy, but he knows me. Now, and this is, in another way, is a rite of passage for an aging Jew, realizing you need to ask for your guy at the restaurant. All right, I, I noted that, and, and I will go out of my way to do that now because I'm, I'm, I'm evolving into this. So I got a new guy. I ordered a cup of chicken soup with just broth and chicken meat. And I ordered a Leo, a lox eggs and onions with well-grilled onions. I ordered a plate of pickles. I ordered rye toast. I ordered cream cheese and a Diet Dr. Brown's black cherry soda. That is what I wanted. That was my deli truth. And I wanted it delivered. All right? Because I wanted, that's what I wanted. Now, when he showed up with my lox eggs and onions, I had spinach scrambled into it and no toast. I, I, I lost my shit a bit, but I, but I didn't say anything. All right. I just, I know that I had that look where I, I said, uh, I said, what is that? Is that spinach? I, I didn't want, I, I don't want spinach. And he knew that I was, you know, there's that moment where they're like, will you just eat it? And I'm like, he knew I'm not going to eat it. So he took it back. And when it came back, when he came back out with it about 10 minutes later, it was correct, but still no toast. So now he started to lose my shit a little more. I went over to my regular guy so I, I could ask him to step in, but he was busy. But he, you know, he, he did say something to the guy. I looked around, I was pissed off, and by the time I got everything I ordered, there were at least three people involved in the process of getting me what I needed. And, my, and even my friend Jerry, uh, you know, he took on my panic, and uh, I think he would have stormed the kitchen uh, if I hadn't told him not to. All said and done, it was a great lox, eggs, and onions. And the truth will set you free. It's, it's just the age-old struggle for the truth that can be a little daunting, and I'm becoming that guy. Be- almost making a scene at the restaurant. All right. Yes, I made a scene at the restaurant. Okay, what can I tell you? Folks, I'm about to share with you my interview with Casey Affleck, his... Uh, New movie, Manchester by the Sea, is now playing in limited release. It's a fucking great movie, and he's great in it. It's expanding to more than 900 cities this Friday, December 16th. Now, I know there's been renewed attention on Casey Affleck being accused of sexual harassment in the past, which resulted in a lawsuit that was settled by both parties. And there are questions about why more outlets aren't asking Casey about these accusations, particularly in the current cultural climate. Well, I can't speak for anyone but our show, but me, but I can tell you why it doesn't come up in my conversation with Casey, because 
Uh, it's a violation of the terms of the settlement for Casey to talk about it. I was not told I couldn't ask about it. There were no questions that were said to be off limits for this conversation, but Casey is not going to address the details of the case because of the terms of the settlement. There's not much I can ask if the settlement means Casey can't talk about it. So, And there have been other guests on this show who are unable to discuss incidents due to lawsuit settlements. I mean, there it's happened before. And, there's, and they tell us that, and there's not much point in me pressing them to talk about something they say they're legally prevented from getting into the details. All right? So that's what's happening. Now, if you want to view this conversation through the prism of that lawsuit settlement, you can. The facts of the case are available. Uh, I just feel like uh, it's fair to let you know uh, that before you hear this conversation. But now, uh, this is me and Casey Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. We've been out doing the thing, pushing the movie. Yeah. <laughs> These little movies, somebody's got to push them. You know? Yeah. There's no one, no one knows about them, and no one cares, and no one goes. Is that true? Pretty much these days, it's hard to get a. Now you know, people have said it before. It's 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 the big movies. They have a big advertising budget, and they just gobble up all the screens. And um, you know, plus there's great TV being made, and so people stay home and watch TV. Um, I got to see it. I saw it in the theater. I thought it was a beautiful movie. Oh, thanks. What'd your lady think? She loved it. I mean, it's like one of those movies where uh, it's very cleverly scripted. The guy's sort of a genius because you don't really know. Nothing is over explained and there's none of that the actors aren't like talking to explain the story. So things fall into place. You where you're like, Oh, that's who that guy is after yeah. three minutes of not knowing who the fuck it is. <laughs> but that's it's Isn't that better, man? You don't want to just better. sit there and have shit crammed down your the throat. Worst. And, that's yeah. the worst. It's much better because you're able to have uh some sort of emotional flow. Like, you know, you the emotions hit you differently. Like it's almost like once you you have that moment where you put it together for yourself and you're like holy shit like and uh, yeah I thought you did a great job thanks man. but you're hearing that a lot can't never hear that enough though I got a lot I got a lot to make up for you know <laughs> many years where I never heard it at all so it's uh, I think I'm still in the in the red that's not true oh uh, well not I mean really. even like fuck man even in like the oceans movie you're pretty funny I mean you know you, you're able to do comedy that's great yeah uh, well, coming from you that says a lot thanks man <laughs> I appreciate it I don't know uh, those were my favorite movies and I didn't actually like doing them that much but um, really 
Well, I mean, thank God I got to do them. They paid <laughs> yeah. the bills for a long time. Right. I'm, I'm not complaining about it. But if you, you know, just talking about like they look fun. Yeah, they're they were sort of fun. They looked more fun than, than they, they were. It's oh, still a job. Show. You yeah, still yeah. show up. You're still doing. Especially me. I was if it's Ocean's Eleven. I was like number eleven. You know right. what I'm saying? <laughs> I was like yeah. uh, maybe ten. Yeah. No, and so um, it it's really the most fun for the guys who are calling the shots, doing the thing, yeah, yeah. changing the scenes, making stuff up as they go. I was kind of. You know, stacking poker chips in the background. You yeah, know, but yeah, yeah. And you, but you had a little comedy thing going with uh, with Con- James Conn's kid. What's his name? Scott Conn. Scott Conn. He's really funny. You guys were funny together. It was like a little team. Like I like how the in those movies there were little units of people yeah. that did their own shticks. Yeah. And you guys had sort of a you know the comedy team dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to do Ocean's Ocean's fourteen. It's just me and him. <laughs> <laughs> with no story just yeah. you reacting to something we don't know about yeah it's just me and him doing all the shit we would have done in the other movies which is like totally irrelevant to the yeah, plot and right. no, pointless uh, action are uh, you friends with him off screen yeah he's a nice guy yeah yeah he's he, I mean he's on this Hawaii five zero, so he works off in Hawaii tough life all the time yeah and, uh, I'd like to talk to his dad his dad's still around right yeah he's around yeah he, he's a character I've only met him a few times um but I'm sure he's got a lot of stories. Yeah, he's got to be a character. He was the, he was uh, he was running around in the heyday. Yeah, old actor guys. But this thing, like, I lived in Boston, the Boston area for where? I lived a lot of places in Bo- in and around Boston. I lived in Somerville. I lived in Brookline. I lived in um, Alston. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was there from like you know eighty one. I lived in Milton because I went <laughs> to Curry College for a year, uh-huh. and then I went to BU, and then I went back and started comedy there. So I was there on and off from eighty one to like. 89 Somerville before it became uh, groovy yeah it's kind of like a little little hard yeah it was yeah but like this thing like I got very nostalgic man <laughs> like because uh, like I knew those people I used to do gigs for those people I worked in Falmouth I worked in Yarmouth that you're from Falmouth right I was right? born in Falmouth you didn't grow up there at I all I grew up in Cambridge 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 yeah. was right in between Somerville yeah. Alston right everywhere you were Brookline yeah yeah, but I remember like paying my dues, playing places like like the characters in that movie would have come to a club that I went to, like a one night or one night gig. Right, if yeah. you're lucky, buddy. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> but I know that the type of person, like, it's very specific. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In the way that, like, I don't know, maybe I'm making this up, but I feel like things used to be more provincial. Everywhere right. was more had more culture, its own culture, or right. place. Now. The last, like, since I've been around and the explosion of chain stores, yeah. everything's a chain. Everyone yeah. watches the same TV shows. Everyone shops at the same fucking gap. Yeah. Everyone drinks coffee in the yeah. same place. Everything's homogenized to the point of, you know, the success of these big businesses, but they're like, they're, yeah. it makes everything bland and everyone's the same. Accents are kind of going away. Are they? Yeah. I think they are. I mean, they're, I go Did back Did you home, have one? When I was a kid, I don't know why, I always had this weird voice, and people would ask me where I was from. I was like, I'm from here, motherfucker. What do you mean? <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> I, live on the, I live on the corner. Uh, but um, but your brother doesn't have it either, does he? He doesn't have it. I mean, our parents weren't from Boston, so they didn't have accents. Oh. Um, so that's mostly where you get it. You where know? are they from? I have no idea. Really? No, I don't. My dad was Detroit and Florida. Oh, yeah? He moved all around. He was a kid, and my mom was from New York. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Where are they now? My dad's in upstate New York, uh, and my mother's mostly uh, in my guest room. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I get her to go back to Cambridge. What part of Cambridge were you guys from? Central Square. Oh, really? Yeah. 
you know, now all of Cambridge has been, they got rid of rent control when yeah. I, all, and all the whole area. Yeah. So that was a really diverse working class area like Somerville, right. like, all, like all these places. And it just got, when about 15 years ago, they got rid of rent control and a really sneaky legislative move. And uh, it changed the face of the whole area. It's a really rich Harvard and MIT gobbled up property yeah. because they could rent for really high prices. And uh, the whole city's changed. So, so it's a homogenized hipster kind yeah, of college thing? completely. So I was walking down the street in Central Square and some, some college kid came up to me and said, hey, you're Casey Affleck? And I said, yeah. And he said, we're over at the uh, Cantab Lounge having a drink. Let us buy you a drink. Now, when I we used to go to the Cantab Lounge, my dad was a bartender. Right. And it was like... There were four alcoholic postmen sitting in there drinking, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, and it was like dark, depressing right. spot. Now it's full of like BU kids who want to buy you a drink. And, Wild, right? Yeah. But that's a great place to grow up. You you did all your growing up there? Yep. In Central Square? Yep. Where'd you go to school? Just the, uh, it was called um, Webster. It was just a little public school two blocks away. Right. Then they changed it to um, Graham and Parks, named for Sandra Graham and Rosa Parks. Yeah. I was in second grade, so Rosa Parks, they changed the name, and Rosa Rosa Parks came to the school. She was looked like she was 120. Yeah. And we put on a performance for her. I did a play. And it was my first, it's the earliest time, uh, memory of ever being on stage. I was playing a lion. And my mane fell off. I remember this really clearly. I was supposed to run across the stage, yeah. go to the front of the stage and roar. And my mane fell off as I was running. And I thought, do I go back and pick it up and then roar? Or do I just roar without my mane? Or do I just like run off stage? And so I went back, fuck it, pick, picked up my mane, went to the stage, roar. <laughs> that was it. That was how my acting career began. I was like trying to put together the pieces of a broken, <laughs> some broken scene. Yeah. That, was, that was basically what it's mane been like. Mane or no mane. Yeah, mane or no mane. It's been that way for 35 years. And then I met Rosa Parks. Really? I, was, yeah, I remember we all get to line up and meet her and she pat us on the head and... It was a very, I came from a very liberal, Cambridge was like the cradle of political correctness yeah. and liberalism at the time. Um, a beautiful place to grow up. I don't up. know if the idea of political correctness was around yet, but it was definitely full of liberal intellectuals. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. where all that stuff was born, you mm -hmm. know, and it was, uh, <laughs> it was, I'm very grateful for that, man, I tell you. So when did you uh, start really kind of getting into acting outside of the lion main thing? <laughs> In high school, I started doing it. I was I was playing baseball. I wanted to play baseball, and then um, were you good? Oh, amazing! I'm sure I would have been a pro. And then uh, <laughs> what position? I played shortstop, and then when I got to high school, I played mostly bench. And uh, <laughs> they, you know, that was my first year as a freshman. Yeah. I mean, we had a big school. We had Patrick Ewing went to our school. Ramil Robinson it was like a big sport. Three thousand kids. What high Public school? school, Cambridge Ringgit Line, yeah. and. Um, so competitive. It was competitive, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And I was I, I, I was a freshman, I didn't get a lot of play. And then um that summer I was gonna play baseball again. Someone came to me and said, Hey, we need a kid we need a boy to be in the do the musical that summer and and so I thought, Well, I could like ride the pine on another season of baseball or I could go hang out with a you know, in the theater department with a bunch of girls. So I did that. And then uh that was <laughs> what amazing. Was the musical? It was called Dear World, the Mad, yeah. Mad Woman of Shio. And uh, I was tone, no, I was tone, turned out I was tone deaf. They didn't kick me out, though. They let me stay in because they didn't have any other guys. You're tone deaf still? Still, yeah. Really? I, yeah, I can't, I can't sing to In fact, I, I, I auditioned for a part a couple years ago. I was dying to do it. And uh, a guy had to sing. Had to sing really, really well. And the director said, we have to have someone who can really sing and play the guitar. 
I said, yeah, I can do it. Yeah. I knew I was fucked. I knew I was, when I was saying the words, I knew I couldn't do it. I said, yes, I can. Are you kidding me? I play, I've been playing the guitar for years. I can sing. You've so, never played guitar? Never. And I thought, like, how it can't be that hard. I'm going to learn a couple of songs. So I right. went, I spent a couple of weeks killing myself to sing and play the guitar. Learned how to do it. You learned how to I, sing? I was like, learned how to sing, learned how to play guitar. I was like, I'm a, I found a new talent. Yeah. I, I'm a, now I'm going to do this movie, and then I'm going to book some shows. <laughs> Which should I, who's going to be in my band? Like, that was the idea. It was who? Now, I, I was thinking big. Who? Where? where how am I going to do an album? Should I just put it straight online? <laughs> and then I sent the tape into the directors, and it was like crickets. They yeah. just, they didn't even respond. What it was movie so bad. was it? I can't say that, man. No well, fucking, I can't, I can't. Really? It's got to be a long time ago. What the hell No way, it was make? recently. Oh, it was recently? Yeah. You know, because other- Is it some, out yet? Someone else ended up doing it, and he was amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Is inside the movie out? Davis. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. For the that. lead? Yep. Oh, okay. He and was, was great. Like, he was fantastic. He's a, he was a great, beautiful voice, sings so, like shit, could play- Played the part amazing. That movie, though, the end of that movie is one of the best endings ever. Yeah, that movie, man, I could watch it over and over. I have to watch it more. I don't know what happened to my copy of it because it's one of those movies that, with their movies. Like sometimes it takes two or three times for me for it to for it to really register the groove. Yeah, you wanted to work with them though, huh? Well, they're my favorite. Coen yeah, right. The best. And you're right. You watch it like first time I saw Lebowski, I thought yeah. that's all right. You know what I mean? Because that was an all right Are movie. you a Lebowski guy? Yeah. Now? I watched it. I've watched it 25 times. I can't. That's the one that, like, I know people are like, that's the one. And I, like, watch it over and over again. I get it. And it's fun. And it's funny. Mm. But I'm not, like, I'm not as into it as I am, like, Barton Fink. Yeah. Miller's Crossing. Miller's Crossing. Yeah. That's crazy. That's a great movie. Beautiful. Serious Man. I love that movie. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the last one I thought was fucking great. Hail Caesar. I loved it. Yeah. Did you see it? I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it yet? It's the only one I haven't seen. Those dudes are masters. They can't be stopped. Have you met him? I met him for that thing. I sat in a room with him and looked him in the eye and told him I could sing and play the guitar. <laughs> Probably the last time I'll get to ever talk, talk to those two guys. Oh, no. You'll, they'll have you back around. <laughs> they like that Clooney. Yeah, they do. He's a funny guy. Did you do scenes with him? Uh, in Oceans, we, you know, he would have some scenes in the foreground and- I would be blurry a thousand feet away if we call that being in a scene with someone. But he seems like a pleasant. He's one of those guys like, um, yeah, there are movie stars and there are actors, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that? Like he just seems like one of those guys. Is he, he's always going to be some variation of himself? But like he can do comedy and he can, like you know he's just very grounded or something. I don't know what it is. Some yeah. dudes just can do that thing. They're good looking and then they're just they 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 take the role the mantle as movie star and they carry it somehow. Yeah. He does it well. Yeah, he, he's a good movie star, and he's a, and I think he can good actor and a good director. And you yeah. know, what I mean, he's like a smart guy. Yeah. and he's an artistic dude. And he, uh, um, do you want to be a movie star? I don't want to be. I don't want to be in, in that sense. And I don't think I could be ever. You know, it's not that. I don't. I don't have that thing. Yeah, but I don't, I don't want that thing. We can carry a movie. Yeah, if yeah. that's what being a movie star is, I can. I can carry a movie. And I. And now I've. I played a lot of smaller parts. Um, and I know the whole thing. There are no small parts for small actors. But I, I think there's, uh, and I believe in that. Um, it's really hard to do a small part. It's, it, in some ways, it's, to make it stick, to make to do it well, yeah. to find your rhythm, to yeah. play. Especially in movies, there's not a lot of time. It's show up, do your job, you go home. You know, yeah. it's, and you got to walk on set prepared to to really do it. And uh, so, the lead of the movie is often given uh, more latitude and and. 
have more time to warm up into things and get it right. And, you know, they might have one or two bad scenes, but they sort of drown out by all the other good stuff that they do. If you're, if you only have three scenes in a movie, you know, you want to deliver. Yeah. You got to convey a lot in those scenes (laughs) in some way. You know, I know there's a school of thought of you just, just be the person in that. And and that's all you have to worry about. But anyway, it's more interesting to me right now to, to get to play a whole arc of a character, you know, of a character. Well, in a did movie. you have the? Did you have a nice amount of time for Manchester? Yes, you did. Yeah, I was in a, almost every scene, and so you really get to be a lot of different colors. You yeah, can be, you know, you can be a little bit of purple here, and then even though you're mostly brown, you can sprinkle in a little th- stuff here. You get to play with nuance in a way that is exciting. Yeah, yeah. Like, like in in thinking about it, because like that role had a what it didn't have. Oh well, that's not true. Like, because uh, in the in the flashback scenes or the like before the thing, you know, you were kind of a happy guy having some yeah. beers, yeah, like just uh, you know enjoying life. I based that on you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, but then you had to do this other thing. You had to shut down. Yeah, it just shattered Walking Dead, dude. Almost. Yeah. He was more like. I mean, I, I would think of him as like. Um, it's so funny, man. It was such. It was. It was really hard sometimes. This movie was brutal in some ways because it was. You know what you had to do every day on set was to carry all of this this tragedy around yeah. every day, and it was heavy. But it was, um, and I know people. You know, listening to actors talk about how hard their job is. There's nothing worse than that. It sounds so pretentious and stupid, but the truth is that you know if you want to be good, you do have to sort of hold on to the the emotional state of the character and just find a way to step into whatever his life is. And, and that life was heavy and it was very emotional. So. So I didn't think of it as like The Walking Dead. It was more like the walking, like too too much living. It was whole. It was like a balloon with too much water in it. Like every. That's why he had to keep everyone away from him because he's like any little thing would make him explode, you know. And um, he wasn't going to forgive himself. He's suffered this that's tragedy. It. That's what I meant. I, I didn't yeah. mean The Walking Dead, but like a broken heart that'll never yeah. heal. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh, uh, just a heart that keeps bleeding. Yeah. And like uh, now, when you do something like that to shift from it, I, I like talking to actors, and I think the job of acting is difficult because what people don't realize is that you're going to do coverage, you're going to be there all fucking day to do five minutes, <laughs> yeah. And you know you've got to you know you've got to show up. It's it's draining. Yeah. And like if people condescend that you know like actors you know talking about acting like it's a big deal, it sort of is a big deal because this is what we chose to do. It's not any sort of guaranteed living, you know. And and you know you keep pushing and you keep pushing, and then when you get successful, you work, but it's work. Yeah. You gotta. You're up. Where were? Where'd that shoot in Manchester? Yeah, New Hampshire. Yeah, uh, which is pretty. Sure. Yeah, beautiful. But you're, you know, you're in the trailer. You kind of, <laughs> you're in the trailer being sad for what? How many months? Yeah, two months and no trailer. <laughs> no you're trailer. You're sitting on a chair and they're being sad on a chair. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, man. That's true. And but I, I also, I love it. I mean, I've done, I've done enough other jobs to appreciate. Like, okay. I'm getting to do what I like to do, and I could be stuck on a daytime TV show that I hate, and I probably would just stop and do something else if that was the case, you yeah, know? Yeah, So I'm like, there are a lot of people who are good and could would love to be doing this, and I'm for the time being, I get to do it, so I thank my lucky stars, and then I very quietly grumble and complain to people. People in the business. Yeah, about directors or another actor or like right. the, how long something takes or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like work, everyone complains about work yeah but like you so you used to do a musical in high school so what makes you what sells you on the idea that this is something to pursue was your brother was acting fun. 
only in high school. We were in high school together. How old? Uh, is it, what's the difference? Uh, two, uh, three years. It's like me and my brother. Yeah, we were really, we were really close. Still, really are close. We kind of, uh, you know, some guys, some like my kids. They're about three and a half years apart, and they have different friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. Ben and I had the same friends, and always we were kind of hanging out. And always oh yeah, the same, yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Because me and my brother, we didn't, we didn't. He took a whole different course. Really? Yeah, we're close now, but it wasn't like that growing up. Well, what you know? did he do? What do you mean? Well, he wanted to uh, be a tennis star, so mm-hmm. like he like put his whole life into being a jock, and he went to a tennis school for a while, and then we went to different junior highs and high schools. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just didn't. I see. I see. He was here last night for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you had him on the show? No, I did. I, I I think we tried to record it once, but it's just a, it's a little it's a little painful sometimes. Really? Well, I mean that wouldn't stop me, but. Uh, you know, he just, you know, he's got his life and it's uh, it's a different life than mine. But like when you're brothers and like, you know, he, the the dynamic between us, you know, it might, he gets, he's very intense, my brother. And he's, you know, he's always trying to, to fix himself. Like he's psychological, he goes, huh. you know, he's always sort of like, I'm working on this, my problems. So oh, the shoot, conversation. To that. Yeah. Oh yeah. So <laughs> the conversation just drops right into that. Like, uh. like just immediately. And I, and I can do that. But like when it's with your brother, eventually like last night, I'm just like, all right, okay, okay. Let's just eat. And <laughs> You know, it's intense. Yeah, it's intense, and it's such a bore, man. You gotta, I gotta remind myself, like enough. Oh yeah, stop thinking about your your own little problems, man. There's a, wor- a world out there. What's pressing? What, what what's the big fix for what, you? For like, me? What, yeah. What do you like? Oh, where do I begin? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You can make them up. I think if you're if you're a, you're someone a if you're a problem solver, yeah. you tend to make problems. Uh-huh. That, that's the trick. You gotta stop. You know what I mean? Like I think of myself. Head. Yeah, you gotta yeah. just turn it off. Be like, eh, sh- you know, um, I try not to let the terrorists win. You know what I mean? Yeah, in your you know? brain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, have you, are your folks alive? Yeah. You should have like a big family show. You get I used to have family. my dad on, but I wouldn't tell him. When I used to do a radio show, I'd call him up and ask him what movies he'd seen, because then he'd just start talking about the movies, <laughs> and it was like it's a it was a film review segment. And it was hilarious. <laughs> and he didn't know you were recording? no, not for years. He didn't. <laughs> It's funny how you can torture your parents and it just feels so good. Yeah, my mom's all right. They came to it. You know, I haven't they're all right. My dad's a little sad, but my mom's all right. Where do they live? She's in Florida and he's in New Mexico where I grew up. Oh, nice. So you might want to, which one of those places do you think of as home? New Mexico. In Mexico. You want to go back there? I kind of, like, I, don't you ever, well, I mean, you're younger than me. Don't you have those fantasies where it's like, I'm, I'm out? Oh, my God. Every day, sitting out in my car in front of your spot here, going, like, what am I doing here? I'm out. I'm out. I, gotta, I can't live. In, I hate I hate this place. I do, too. I hate LA. It eats at you somehow. You, you know, everything's an ordeal to go anywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like, especially, like, whatever you're going through now for this big push, it's just at that part of the job, but just going, to, like, if I got to go to the west side, I'm like, oh, fuck. I know. I don't want How long is that going to take me? I, you know? I'm gonna have to pack a bag. <laughs> I know it's the worst. It's spread yeah. out. You spend all your time. Listen, there's a million things to complain about uh, about LA. Yeah, you know, and I've I've said them all. I think yeah. by now, um, but I can't actually get. I never get to the heart of it. I never get to the heart of what it is that is so bad about LA. But you came out here when you you said like 20 years ago the first time. I was 18. I, I, Got out of high school. Me and my friend got in a car. So you did how many musicals? Or I did one musical. That was they let me stay in the show, but they were not going to get me another one. But I mean, how much acting did you do before you came out here? Nothing. I did high school theater. That's it. 
Well, <clears throat> my 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 a boring story. My mom's best friend was a local casting director in, in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. So she would bring us in for little auditions or weather commercials. Who and, you and your brother? Yeah, yeah, all of our friends. Like she, the casting director had kids too. They were yeah, our yeah. age, so we'd all go in just to be for local kids TV? in the background. Yeah. <laughs> like if a movie came to town, right? You know, and I didn't even think of I was being an actor. I didn't even know what that was. But it was a day off from school, and you get. Back then, it was like they gave us 50 bucks and you just eat donuts and shit all day. And then I did... Um, Are you hanging around with Matt Damon, too, at this point? He was older. No. I, I didn't... I mean, he was like on my school bus when I was a kid. You know what I mean? When your brother was friends with him? No, he wasn't friends with him. We didn't know him until high school. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he was older than both of us. Uh, Matt's, you know, 59 now, so he's... Uh, wow, no, he's not. looks great. <laughs> yeah, he looks... Uh, 59, he's no. got 12 children. He's four <laughs> He's four or five years older than I am. Um, I didn't really know, but I did... I had met him. And yeah. then, um, anyway... So, you, so I didn't right. do any, any of that. When I got out of high school, I thought, ah, I'll be an actor. It's fun. I like yeah. doing theater. I like yeah. doing plays. Yeah. I liked it all. I guess I'll go out to, you know, Hollywood, California, where that's where all the action is. And so... Drove out there, stopped at my buddy's parents' place in uh, Bastrop, Texas. Stayed there for a while, and then continued on to, to uh, the guy you're driving with. Yeah, his parents yep. lived in Texas. Yeah, and uh, what happened to the guy you came out with? He came out. We lived together for a while, and um, in Eagle Rock, and then how did uh, you end up in fucking Eagle Rock? Why the hell? Did, oh, because Ben was going to Occidental College. Oh, it's right here. It was right there. Yeah, and so we uh, we all got a place together, and um, with another friend of ours, and. Yeah, that was it. And then I, you know, I got like three auditions that year. Basically, it was like got nothing. I worked as a busboy. I wasn't old enough to serve alcohol. I was only seventeen, actually. So yeah. um, I got a job as a busboy in, in Old Town, Pasadena, and uh, just you know worked my ass off. And and I was thought, hey, I don't really like it out here. You know, I'm not getting any auditions. I'm just, Did you have an agent or anything? I found an agent kind of midway through the year, and um, and then right as I was packed up and leaving, I was going to college, and I got an audition for a movie called To Die For, which was. Gus Van Sant movie. Yeah. I, uh, so I so I went and did that job, which was amazing. I had the best time. Met Where a bunch of people. Shot? Toronto mm-hmm. became really good friends with all the people there. It was the best possible first. You experience. were one of the townie guys. It was like two. You know, it's basically kind of Pamela Smart, right? She hires a teacher who hires yeah. kids to yeah, kill yeah, her yeah. husband. No, I remember Dylan. the movie yeah. Nicole Kidman. Yeah. And it's Joaquin, and and you were one of his friends. Yeah, it was me oh, and Joaquin, yeah, 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 and yeah. and then Matt Dillon was the husband, and. He was really good in that. Everybody was good in that. Yeah. People are always good in Gus's movies. It's like, it's a sign of a Why is that? Um, because he knows how to take, well, he's good at casting, and then he knows how to take what people are giving him and use it in the right way. You know, like, uh, I, I sort of have this theory that you could take a performance and it could be good. Any any performance could be cut to be yeah. terrible or it should be great. You right. know, and any anyone off the street can kind of be a, give a great performance or a bad, <laughs> terrible performance. And like, uh uh, so, um, so you got that right as you were packing up. Yeah, where were you going to go to school? What was the big plan? I was going to Columbia. Then I had a girlfriend who was in Washington D.C. In New York. Oh, uh, then I went to I went to first to Washington D.C. and I went there for a few months. And then after the movie, uh, after the movie, and I had a girlfriend. And then we broke up, and I didn't want to be there anymore. And I went to New York City. Went to Columbia for how long? Uh, two and a half years total, on and off. I'd go for a semester. I'd go to work. That's good school. That was great. You must have been smart. Not as smart as the other kids, I tell you. <laughs> Every time I thought I really liked some subject, I'd get in that class. Yeah, just give, they'd just blow me they'd away, bury you. Yeah, like, this is not for me. Yeah, that <laughs> fucker up there knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the end of the semester, I'm sitting in the back corner, hiding my face. Um, what were you? What was the? What were you studying? 
Well, you got to do this. Like Columbia's got this great program where they have their best professors teach all the fr- incoming freshmen, sophomores. They have a core curriculum where everyone's got to take the same classes, more or less. You don't get to pick a lot of classes. Yeah. But, which which I like, you know, it's the classics and stuff. But then and you get to pick one class a semester or something that you really want. And I took astronomy and physics because I thought I liked it in high school. I really loved it, and I thought I was good at it. But let me tell you something. When you get in a physics course at an Ivy League school, boy, um, yeah, I can't. You're, you're in trouble if you're not like really killing yeah, it. I don't have a math brain. Yeah, it no. seems complicated. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you split and you come back here. Boom! I was out. No, I moved to Somerville. Where yeah. you? Were, yeah, moved to um, Inman Square. This is after no, you to, fucking uh, do Davis Square. The movie. Yep. Your first movie. Yep. And you're just sort of like what you waited around. Or you just left. I didn't really know if I wanted to keep doing it. I didn't really... Uh, you did nothing before that? Nope. Hmm. Um, I mean, as a kid, I did those little tiny things. I did that movie to die for. And then I... Yeah, I was going to school and not going to school. I was kind of kicking around. I moved to... Inman to, Square? To Davis Square in Somerville. Davis, right by that's where I live. I was waiting tables in uh, Harvard Square. Oh, yeah? Then, where? Giannino's. Huh. David Mamet used to come in there. With his glasses? Sh- I shouted at me one time. Yeah? And get, not getting the food out. He was like, yeah, I used to see him at the cigar place that in, in Harvard Square. You oh, know that yeah. smoke shop? Yeah. Yeah. Upstairs, they'd have an area where people would sit and play chess, and he was always up oh, there yeah. writing. I've sat there and played chess there. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. So, then what happens, man? Well, you know, life goes on. You're working at a restaurant? We're going to a restaurant. Where's your brother? God, He's still it, out my, here? my life story is boring, man. No, it's Holy not. my God. It goes from busboy to waiter to getting yelled at by Mammoth to yeah, but, yeah. school and out of school. Who cares? I care. All right. <laughs> All right. Because then so- somewhere along the line, you become uh, an amazing Yeah, but there's actor. more to it. It's a, this is the this is a Where's chronology. your brother? He's still here? What's he doing? Did he no, graduate? No, he, li- he was in Somerville, too. We all we were all living in Somerville. <laughs> we all lived in, 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 in Davis Square. <laughs> yeah. We're having a and having a blast, you know. We didn't have any responsibilities. No one was in any relationships. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, we'd sit around, you know, and um, watch movies and talk and hang out. All our friends were around. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we weren't we weren't kids anymore. So you kind of do what you want. But you're but you still want to do the same things you yeah. did when you were a kid. Sure. So it was like. It, just eat cereal, play video games all day. It was you know, and uh, in in Somerville, in Somerville, <laughs> yeah. And, um, I did Goodwill Hunting. Gus Van Sant, who, Again. who, who yeah, who did directed Today for it, yeah. decided to direct Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. So, um, I went and did that. That was fun. It was like you know, I've been so so uh, strangely like lucky. At some point in my in the future, I think I'm going to look back and everything will come into focus, and I'll see sort of that some some something some system here, something yeah. was happening. Right now, it just I don't really. I don't really understand it all, but I've been. I've Are you been, grateful? Yeah, and I've been able to work with my friends and family over and over again, and um, and and like great directors that I never thought I would get to work with, when and work with them for four or five movies. You know what I mean? Like who? Like Gus? Yeah. You know, I edited him on it, a movie for him, and I I acted in a couple, three things, four things of his. Yeah. And, uh, my friend David Lowry had done two, coming up on three movies with him, and. You know, all these people, um, you know. Was Kevin Smith amazing. a big break? No. Well, it was for your brother, I guess. That was kind of a favor. I don't know. Yeah. 
Uh, I didn't want to do that. Uh, that was like, you know, I was basically an extra. That was kind of a, hey, I'm making a movie. Come, You want to come say a line in it kind of a thing. But he kind I of- hate doing that. But he, but he, your brother was in it. Yeah. And and that was, I guess maybe that was his sort of, one of his breaks. That was one of his kind of breaks. Yeah, What was yeah. that called? Chasing Amy. Chasing Amy. Yeah. Um, but what- I really of, don't like doing that stuff. What? Showing it. Showing up. Favors. Yeah, because it's not really what it's, what's fun about acting for me is not kind of like hanging out on set and- Hey, I'll say a line. You know, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a little loose like that. Yeah. It's not. I like to th- start months and months before and start thinking about who, what the character is. You know, to build it. You know, take, um, create it. Like, like being on the floor of the pile of Legos. Yeah. And sort of putting it all together. And um, how do you do that? I mean, like, because I've talked to a few guys about. Like, I talked to who do I have in here? I've I've been talking to more actors. I don't think I knew how to talk to them at first. Uh, in the sense of of how they go about their process, but lately I've been better at it because some people have a process. But the thing you can't really ask an actor really is like you know, like so, there's part of acting that just you just happen to be able to you fit on screen, you can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have that self consciousness that you know, like when you said anyone could do a part, kinda. But there's some sort of trick to not paying attention to the fact that you're surrounded by people with cameras and gear, like you are able to find that space. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a gift. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can learn that, hmm. kind of, hmm. that, that focus. Mm-hmm. But when you say you take months, like what was the first part? Was it Billy the Kid? Uh, was it- uh, Jesse James. Jesse James, where you were like, I gotta take the, I'm gonna start months in advance and put this together. Well, that was the first part that was a, a, a leading role with a great piece of material yeah. and a great director- where all of the work could be put into something. It was a big enough container that I could fill with all the work that I was putting into it. Yeah. Before that, I would do all the work because I loved doing it, and that's sort of how I was taught to do it all. Who taught you? Man, I had this guy in high school who I know it sounds, you know, it sounds like it wouldn't be um, that uh, that impactful a thing or, or, or a great experience for whatever reason because it's just public high school, but he was one of the best teachers I've ever had, one of the smartest guys I've known. And What's it his wasn't name? All, his name was Jerry Specka. He was just a high school teacher, theater teacher, and yeah. it wasn't about, you know, teaching. He wasn't a guy who knew this Stanislavski right. and this and that, all these other different acting techniques or acting, yeah. you know, schools of acting. And uh, But he, he taught us how to do the work about the importance of, like, of of doing preparation yeah. and of asking a lot of yourself and not not uh anytime you're going to do something doing it as well as you can and um that was 4 years of that stuff and it really stuck man and when I would go to do um do a job I still do those th- things that he taught me when I was 15 years old like every morning before I go to set I do the same physical vocal warm ups yeah. the same things I I really you know everything that I learned then is is what carried me through all these jobs, and um, so all the work, the the preparation that it, you know would go into these other jobs before Jesse James, and was <clears throat> I just wouldn't get to do anything with it because I'm just being asked to step up and do do some. You know the material wasn't that good, or the no one else was paying attention to see what was good and bad in the performance, and so I was lucky enough to get a part with the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford because Andrew Dominic was directing it. He cared about actors and he cared about a difference between a good performance and a bad performance, and then he took everything that I was giving and then elevated it because he had great ideas himself, you know, and 
that's man when it gets really fun and you think there's nothing in the world I'd rather do than this. When when you start when you say you start like a couple months in advance, just as somebody who does a little acting myself, um, and I you know I never really got much training, but I you know except on set. Yeah. So like what you start with the script. So what what do you what do you first think about? <sighs> start looking at them, not thinking about the character, but looking at them. Yeah, the material, what's happening in the story, what's happening yeah. in this moment, and then start thinking about what does this guy want? Yeah. And what is he, what's standing in his way? Yeah. What, and why does he want those things? And if he wants those things for those reasons, how's he going to get over this hurdle or around this obstacle? Uh-huh. Just trying to understand, like, from the inside out, what, what's happening so you're not thinking of it in terms of how is it serving the story or how is it appearing or what is this moment supposed to be for an audience? But really making a trying to understand as if it was a real person so that you can be that real person. Um, And if you've done all that work, I tend to feel that it doesn't it almost doesn't matter what is coming out of your mouth, what face, how you look or any of that shit is not at all you're supposed to be thinking about. You're supposed to be just thinking about what is happening before you've entered this scene and and uh, where where are you bringing into the scene? What is it you're trying to get out of this person or this moment or what you're caring about, what you're carrying? Those are the things that give a scene like some depth and make it interesting to watch. Yeah. You go like, what's going on in this guy's head? Yeah. Makes it look like real people on right. screen and you're wondering what's happening for them and, and um So the inner life has got to Yeah, yeah. Has got to sort of you, you gotta put that together for yourself and then you, you know, if you're working with that inside yourself, it's gonna translate. Yeah. So like with um the assassination of uh Jesse James, Jesse James. By coward Robert Ford. Yeah, yeah, it's a big title. It's a beautiful looking movie. I know Pat Healy. He was uh, he had a little part in there. Yep. He's a good guy. He's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Good actor too. Yep. So when you do that character, you, you know, what were what was the sort of the thing that stood right in your face of like, you know, I got that's my obstacle. Uh no uh well oh, shit, man. He put me in the spot. I think he's like, you know, he wanted he thought of himself as being capable of greatness right but he was a, he was a little kid yeah and the, and part of the obstacle was that people didn't take him seriously mm-hmm. part of the obstacle was that he didn't know how to mask his own ambition so the people saw it he sort of just like oozed ambition and it made people not want to give him respect yeah also um the the his own ignorance about the world stood in his way he had read these nickel and dime books about jesse james yeah he didn't know you know about a this robin hood figure who stole from the rich and he gave to the poor right. and he yeah, yeah he was yeah. this great magnanimous heroic dude and then he but and he believed it you know he believed these comic <laughs> yeah, books yeah, and yeah. he got and he thought i'm gonna be just like this guy i'm gonna he's gonna and he's gonna see in me he's gonna see this yeah. man who's so great he won't be able to miss my own potential for greatness. Yeah. And I get out there, and he's not that. He's just a murdering, crazy, aging, like, man- maniac. Yeah. Um, who doesn't see anything in anyone else because he's only thinking about himself. And so I don't feel the, the uh, what I was hoping to feel when I'm around him. You're right. And, and it kills me. Right. And, um, <laughs> and I think pretty, pretty quickly think... Okay, fuck this guy. Yeah. I feel horrible. I feel horrible when I'm around him, and now I'm in this position where I have to, you know, uh, I'm gonna kill him. Like yeah. this, it becomes the the avenue to to respect and greatness that I see is killing to, that to guy. kill him, kill yeah. him or catch him. Can't catch him. Yeah. But no one, everyone else is afraid of him, 
And it was pretty amazing what he did. He was a 19 year old kid and he shot Jesse James. The whole yeah. country was terrified of this guy. Yeah. You know, rightly or wrongly, maybe it was just like people in the, in the Northeast afraid of, you know, some, the James gang coming into their town. It was a myth, you know, but it was, uh, people were afraid of him. There were a lot of lawmen out there looking to capture this guy or kill him and they couldn't. Yeah. And this kid did it. And was he celebrated? No. He was ridiculed. He was he was like the the myth of Jesse James was so big that even though the man himself was a monster and even and though the myth even was sort of of a criminal uh people still were not going to celebrate this guy who killed him because we they wanted to believe in this sort of comic book version so of the story and so the in this you know the I was the villain Robert Ford became the villain in this right. comic oh, book yeah. and they just made him out to be, to to be a guy who killed a, a, a the, the heroic Robin Hood figure and no one really cared about the truth they wanted the nickel dime book story yeah. um and and you like that character him. Uh, well, it's boy. That's a great, complicated guy to yeah. play. You yeah, know, yeah, for sure. The all, the ups and downs yeah. there are pretty extreme. Yeah. Um, and and working with Brad was good. Amazing. Because he's. I think you guys are kind of. I think he when when he sets his mind to it, he really can act. He can. Oh, you know yeah. what's great about Brad is that he's ne- he has taken his. You know, you were talking about movie stars versus actors, right. and I don't know where the lines actually is. Um, Maybe it's too simplistic a right. distinction. Sure, but Brad, there's no doubt that Brad Pitt was the biggest movie star in the world and a great movie star. Yeah, you know what I mean. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, I don't even know exactly what it means, but I would find myself looking at that man, gazing at his. He's got a great face. Yeah. You know what I mean. He yeah. has an interesting. He has something watchable about him, and he's also very committed to being good. So he would take a movie like this three and fifth, three hours, fifteen minute weird meandering awesome complicated non-western western yeah and take no money for it and go get it made he would use his movie star wattage to get something made yeah you know and he helps little movies like yeah. he does it over and over again money ball he helps great directors get their movies made takes risks i love him for that and he's good to act with yeah, because he's he's supportive. Yeah, he's not saying I'm Brad Pitt. I'm the movie star. This is going to be about me. He he's like he's playing a scene. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brad's so, the best. Yeah, I, he seems like it. I'd like he's a nice guy too, right? He's yeah, funny guy. Yeah, he's funny. He's like interested in stuff, architecture. Different I have no things. sense. It's weird. You, you know, gotta wait. get him in here, dude. Hey, go, I call him. Hold on, hold on a sec. <laughs> Brad, come in, will you? He's out in the car. Yeah, he'll, he's you just, want to come in. He's listening. And then, like you did the movie with your brother. Now, yeah. what, when your brother becomes like, you know, for years, he was like the, the biggest movie star in the town, in the world. Now, was, uh, were you like, were you, uh, what was your role in that? In the sense of like, did he need someone to talk to? Like, I mean, was it just like, oh, my brother's just working. I mean, he's like fucking everywhere all of a sudden. Did he, was, <laughs> did you find yourself in a different position as a brother to sort of like be a confidant or at least have like his back and shit? <laughs> I always have his back. Yeah. Um, uh, I always have his back and love him, and we're pretty, we're very close. So, and he's got my back too, you know. Yeah. So we would uh, nothing really changed in terms no. of like, oh, now I have to be his confidant or vice versa. Um, but um, I've been, I've had this weird life, man, where I've seen so many people go from being like I've known them very, yeah. very well when they were not, you know, uh, famous, and then they became very 
successful and famous. Most people kind of, they might have that in one person in their life. Right. Like I knew, you know, I went to high school with Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. And then Mark Zuckerberg (laughs) became a billionaire and he's Mark Zuckerberg. And then they go like, they get some glimpse of sort of what that does to people. Um, And, and also they get a, they also get to understand fame in a different way, like humanize it. But they, uh, I've had a lot of that. Like who? Like Matt? Oh, yeah. I'm gonna find, you know, I knew him, Matt. I'm taking a school bus with him in third grade. Yeah. And then, you know, and he's that. <laughs> and so it, it does a couple of things. And one is it just sort of makes it, it uh, takes all the mystery out of that kind of like fame. Yeah. And sort of you see you know it for what it is. Yeah. yeah. And you go like, oh, it's just, yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of gross. And it, it seems so like much of it has outside of you. It, it, yeah. it all happens outside of you. Cause I, that's one thing I know from being in here and doing 700 of these conversations. <laughs> Is that, you know, guys who were my heroes, like there's something sort of amazing because I can't, I can't always separate and I'm I'm, like, if if I'm going to talk to Neil Young or something, I'm fucking nervous because that guy, all I know about him is any, anyone else who likes his music knows about him. He's like this mythic guy. It's fucking Neil Young or Keith Richards. And then you get in there and you're like, no, he's just an interesting old dude that's hanging on, you know, and still doing what he loves to do. The humanization thing. It's pretty powerful. Yeah. And and it's like, it is so different. And and I'm always amazed because I still fall like victim of like mythologizing people. Like, you know, when you read shit about people, because there's always part of me that's like, how, they can't be that weird. I mean, they're just human. You know, what do we think they're doing? You know, but, they get, but they're not usually doing anything you read about. Yeah. You know, the narratives are created by other people. And, right. and my, in my experience, people are public eye gets sort of flattened out into a narrative that's created by others and depending on how much the subject of that narrative the person who's becoming famous yeah wants to really invest their time and energy into controlling the story and their yeah. image and the narrative they can sometimes can do so they can control it you and gotta say hide like, though and yeah you, or some people want to hide they yeah. go fuck i'm not i don't want to deal with that at all and then if they do that, it's like you're leaving it up to others. And, and then they're like all the bloggers and people online and people, journalists, everyone is sort of just making, fitting you into this, uh, the, their own idea of what's happening yeah. in the world. Yeah. It's kind of like what happens in Jesse James. And, and I don't know why people still believe it, but they don't, most people don't really have time and don't care that much to think about uh, the lives of others in, um, with that kind of nuance. They don't want to go like, well, he's not really this, or he's not really that. They just want to give me the headline. Yeah. Who's a good guy? The who's a bad bit. guy? Yeah, who yeah. do we like? Who do we not yeah, like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's the bad boy? Who's right. the rebel? Who's right. the all-American hero? Yeah. And um, it's almost never, in my experience, from the people I've known and seen depicted one way or another in, 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 me- in press and media and like entertainment. Your, and your brother. It's you like never, see a lot of that, right? Yeah, it's never accurate. <laughs> it's never what, it re- what they really are. Um very, very, very rarely. It's usually like sometimes it's too kind. The yeah. image is too generous. Sometimes yeah. it's they're depicted to be in horrible ways. Yeah, and you go like, none of that's true. And I'm sure. Yeah, as you say, you get to you get to see it he, talking to people here, and um, but it's also like a kind of a boring topic. You go like people know. Well, now you're fame. like in, in this. It? Like you're you're up. You're probably going to be nominated for an Oscar, so you're going to take some shit. I'll take a ton of shit. That's the thing. Either people say really nice things about you and it's embarrassing. Yeah. Or they say really mean shit about you and it hurts. Yeah. And I'm telling you, both are not that pleasant. Yeah. It's nicer to have them say nice things about you. I'd rather be embarrassed <laughs> than hurt. But it's uh, it doesn't feel good, man, when they say, say mean shit and you can't go out there and 
always be out there defending yourself because yeah. you feel like because then you get the further, point? further into yeah, the soup these people don't know me and then yeah. you're standing in the swamp with them you know? yeah yeah, and, yeah um so you have to just sort of i guess accept it and um and uh and not let the terrorist win mm-hmm so when you working with your brother how was how did that uh, how was that as a director great yeah. I mean, he hired me. I was doing Jesse James in Canada, and he came up to visit, and he said, asked me to do the movie. And I knew he'd been trying to do it for a while and been trying to cast it. Yeah. And at the time, I don't think anyone knew that... Uh, I think people thought of him only as like an actor from movies that at that time hadn't done that well. And so they didn't want to be in him. And sometimes actors are reluctant to be in movies that are being directed by other actors. I don't know why. Competition, or I don't know what it is. But... Um, I think he went out. He, he tried to cast a few other actors. Yeah, couldn't. And then, and I had the advantage of knowing that he's a very smart guy with good taste. Yeah, and that. Um, and so I thought, hell yeah, I'll do it. Also, I just wanted to spend time with him. I th- you know, it was like yeah. an opportunity to hang out with your brother for a yeah, few yeah. months. Um, that movie was Gone Baby Gone. Did all right, right? It did great. Yeah. I mean, it did great. I don't right. know. <clears throat> I don't know. I can't remember how much. Money I just heard your. Uh, I heard the Boston. And huh? he said, I heard the Boston accent for a second. Right now? Yeah, when he said great. That's great. Yeah, fucking great. <laughs> great. The way you say great. <laughs> great. <laughs> great. Um, but it was uh, it was fun. Yes, it was fun. Yeah. I like working with people I, that I know. I like getting into it on movies where you, with people you're comfortable arguing with, people who can argue with love, that's how I like to work. Yeah. When you go like, they know it's not personal. But you can disagree because you don't have that much time to make a movie. And you can so if you can just say, you're making a big mistake. This is not the way to do the scene. You don't understand. Let me explain it to you. That would be, people would take offense to that. People would be hurt if you didn't, if they didn't know you. If it's your brother. Yeah, fuck You'd be like, it. man, <laughs> shut the fuck up, please. I'm begging you. Listen to me. This is the way, right way to do it. And I was wrong and he was right most of the time. But at least like we got to the point pretty quickly. Yeah. You know? Well, what about that uh, the the clusterfuck you did with uh, Joaquin? <laughs> uh, you're the best. You just call it a clusterfuck. That's awesome. <laughs> it was a bit of a clusterfuck. That's for sure. <laughs> what was the the seed of that idea? Of I'm still here. That, the seed of that idea was a broad comedy spoofing um, a. For a long time, Joaquin and I wanted to do a um, spoof of boy bands. Yeah, this was like I'm talking when we were about. 21 2021 we pitched an idea about a like an in sync kind of spoof Mm -hmm. and we'd always just talked about doing it it was fun and sort of in the same tone as like three amigos spoofed actors right um we never got together to do that um we then it was okay let's spoof an actor who wants to be a musician yeah like the self-importance of actors who come to believe they they're in this this weird bubble of a of a world of being a you know actor living in L.A. you know and and they not knowing or caring about the rest of the world thinking only about themselves so much and and um, and so he decides that he's going to quit acting and he's going to make a movie and he's so sure that it's going to be this like. Uh, uh, it's going to take the attention of the world. His first album is going to be this masterpiece that he he wants to have it documented. Right. He wants to have someone make a documentary about okay. it. Yeah. Um, and so he asks his friend to make a documentary about him and follow this um, amazing transformation from brilliant actor to brilliant uh, musician. And over the course of the documentary, he 
alienates everyone. His behavior is so horrible, so nasty and unpleasant to everyone around him that he um, that he alienates, he loses everyone in his life until the only people who are left is the guy who's making the documentary about him. And then that person, he's mean and un- nasty with too, and finally alienates him to the point where the guy releases a documentary that's very unflattering and puts it out into the world. That was the... That was the idea. Yeah. And so um, we tried to people the crew of the documentary with people who also were going to be kind of cast, in a way, cast members, because the crew of the documentary are going to factor into the story because they're there. They turn, they go from being a supportive team of documentarians yeah. following this guy to being bitter, resentful uh, alienated documentarians who are thinking, "Fuck this guy! We're gonna show how horrible he is and put it out." But in they the were all in on the joke. Everybody they were all more or less in on a joke. But they, but Joaquin is such a good actor, that, and was so committed to the part that it was really believable. You know, he was really, and we would go places and go to, we'd just go to open mics all around L.A., go to nightclubs, and he'd he'd perform, like grab the mic and do, and it would be horrible. And people would boo, and he'd be horrible back to them. He would heckle them. And one one moment that was, we had a few things. There was obviously like Andy Kaufman was an inspiration. Yeah. Uh, and there was a moment when um, Michael Richards, who was a, played the part on Seinfeld, yes. he played Kramer on yeah, Seinfeld. Yeah, sure. He got into some trouble. He got, was on stage, yeah. and someone heckled him. Yeah. And he kind of melted down and said some really nasty stuff to right. the people uh, in the audience, yeah. racial slurs yeah. and... Um, as I remember it. Yeah. Uh, and um, we wanted to do a public meltdown like that where he just said terrible, embarrassing stuff, Joaquin. And we kept trying to create that over and over again. We would go to nightclubs and it never was quite big enough. So what we did was ha- we got him, booked him a gig on this nightclub in Miami, thousands of people. And, um, <laughs> and I had a friend of mine who's since passed away, but was a really brilliant actor, Eddie Rouse, and he, uh, really nice guy, and he was there, and he was the only guy I knew who could really, like, and go into a situation with real people yeah. and and pull off a scene, and no one would know, oh, these guys are acting, something's off. Like, he yeah. was, he, he could do it and and be believable. And um, he went in, he was in the crowd in the nightclub, and he said, started heckling Joaquin from the crowd, and Joaquin jumps off the stage and they get into a fight. And um, that was going to be our kind of Michael Richards moment. And uh, after that would be the climax of the movie, and then he would sort of disappear. And um, so that happened, and Eddie did it, and he was amazing. Joaquin was amazing, and um, at, you know, and he, he's pulled out of the crowd, and he goes backstage, and goes to the bathroom, and he's vomiting, and he's <laughs> all upset, and you know, traumatized, and it's just the it's a, the ultimate low point in the movie, and he's like, and. Uh, and then he disappears. And so, you know, in the story, he disappears and he goes down to what's supposed to be Costa Rica. It was mostly my backyard here in L.A. And yeah. uh, we shot my dad, played his, he, Joaquin's character, supposed to go see his father. And I had my dad play the part. And um, that was the story. And uh, it became only, as you say, a clusterfuck because people got caught up in think feeling it was real being pissed off about it getting hurt by everything that was happening in it and um you know having their feelings hurt and 
it was just uh, and the media hated the idea that we thought they thought we were trying to sort of pull the wool over their eyes and we we really weren't it was more like how can we possibly afford to make a movie you know with nightclubs filled with thousands of extras it would cost a fortune we couldn't so, so we had to just book shows yeah. we had to just play it like it was real and that was how we we did it and it was largely an experiment um that uh you know sometimes it was successful and sometimes it wasn't and um so when it was done i showed it to david fincher who was a, na- a neighbor and a friend of mine and he said uh meet me for lunch i want to talk to you about it so i went to meet him for lunch yeah. and he said um i've got an idea he's such a genius he said i have an idea I want you to, I think you should put this movie in a vault. And I thought a vault was like a, I didn't know what he meant exactly. I thought it was maybe it was like a way of some technical thing you do to a movie (laughs) is a way of like transferring it to film or making it look better or a way. I said, okay, a vault, let's do it. How do do you do it? What's a vault? He said, no, I mean, just put it in a box and lock it up and don't show it to anyone for 10 years and and then show it. And I said, okay, how are we going to get our money back? (laughs) You know, we spend our money making this movie. And he said, oh, well, no, I guess you'll have to to try to sell it. I wish I'd put it in a vault, man. We didn't make our money back anyway. But um, so that was the end of that movie. And people have asked about it, and they still do. Some people think it's real, and it wasn't. And and I guess it was, all in all, maybe, maybe a positive for the experience. But... Took a lot of lumps. Uh, yeah, it took a lot of lumps because of it. Yeah, but it, 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 and you guys are still pals, right? Yes, yeah. very close. Yeah, yeah. How come you've never done a movie with him, like straight up? You know, we were supposed to. We we had. Um, there's this Robert Olmstead. I don't know if you like to read. He wrote. He wrote. He great writer. He's a teacher in uh, Ohio and a professor. And he uh, he wrote a trilogy of books uh, called Far Bright Star, A Coal Black Horse. Uh, the bunch of he's written a bunch of books actually, yeah. uh, and we were going to do one called Far Bright Star. Um, it's set uh, just after the Mexican Revolution on the border of Mexico and the United States around the 1916, and uh, so a very like traditional uh, script, you know, very conventionally made movie um, in some ways, very different than what we did. Um, <clears throat> but we uh it didn't didn't come together quick enough we had to do it in new mexico yeah in the summer so we're planning on doing it this coming summer this is my son calling may i answer this yeah i'll see what's up man doesn't often hey hey baby your shoes um they might be in my car i don't know you don't have any shoes Uh, you know what? There's some of Mom's shoes in my in my closet. I think that they'll probably fit you. They're just Converse, um, or just wear some of mine, man. They'll be a little bit big. There, ha- you have to have a pair of shoes in the house, man. All right, I love you, buddy. Listen, just keep looking. I'm I'll, I'm in the middle of an interview. I'll be done fairly soon, and I'll call you back. I'll let you know. If- it's all right. It's all right, but it's all right. I love you, buddy. How old is he? He's twelve. He's got no shoes. He says, oh, "Let's." <laughs> What's going on there? Um, all right. Well, we can can wind it down. That's all, I'm sure he'll find something to put on his feet. So you still get? Are you, oh, you're divorced from his mom. We're separated. Yeah, she lives about a block away, and I should have just told him to go over there and get shoes. Uh, 
They they kind of go back and forth. That's yeah. a nice setup. She's you get she's along with best. her still. Yep, They're very good friends, and I love her. And uh, the kids seem to be adjusting well. You know, it's um, part of life. We got together very very young, and we stayed together for a really long time. But uh, you know, you're still growing so much at that age, man. We were 21 years old. Oh yeah, your brain is still has, has another four years to develop. At least, yeah, at least. Yeah, I went through gotta... a growth spurt. 48. I was 48. My brain <laughs> <laughs> grew a little more, <laughs> or some things got changed. Yeah. Um. So we had a really good run. Um, and your friends. That's such a rare story. Yeah, uh, that's really important. You know. I mean, I want to be friends with her because she's so uh, really smart, you know, and uh, I like, I've always looked to her for so many years for advice on different things, and uh, I need her. Um, I That's love nice. the books you got in here, man. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, there's, you got the, our Alcoholics Anonymous, are you uh, AA? I am. How how long? 17 years. 17 years sober. Yeah. Good, good job. You have that in your life? Oh man, I mean, I'm sober for for about almost three years. My dad was huge drunk. Forget you know the like bottom, but just bottom of the barrel, terrible. Is that the why they, they broke up? I mean, I'm sure it had something to do with it. You yeah. know what I mean? But yeah. it was, uh, yeah, he was a, a disaster of a drinker. Uh, it ruined his life. And then he got sober when I was about fourteen. He moved out here. I, we'd never left the East Coast. He came out to California, which was, may as well have been Mars. And uh, to me, I didn't know where it was. And he went to a rehab out in Palm Desert. Yeah. Like a state mandated, sure. like, got, you know, it's basically has a feel of a prison, but it's yeah. a rehab. Stayed there for 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. And um, what do you mean? He, what he what he got a job or what? He, yeah, he stayed there. He could not. I mean, I think he felt like if he left, he would drink. You know, he was he had to be there. So he got a job working there after being a you know resident. He got a job working there and um, um, helped guys get their GED. You know, taught guys. My dad's really smart, um, and he um, counseled really men there, and um, and then. Uh, and then finally he left. That was a big deal for him, and he moved to to Savannah, Georgia. And um, so yeah. And then my grandmother was an alcoholic. It's just that my brother had you know spent some time in rehab, and so it's in our genes. And uh, I understand it. I was just going to you know like Altine yeah. meetings in oh, you the did that? church basements yeah. when I was. Um, since I was 12 years old. Did that register old. with you, the Al-Anon stuff? I mean, did yeah, you get it? it? It was nice because no one else was talking about it, and mm-hmm. it was a way of understanding what was happening at home. And it wasn't your fault. And it wasn't my fault, and they would do things like, you know, the kids would act out scenes. There was like role-playing as a way of understanding and expressing the things that were happening at home. So you see you're there with a bunch of other kids, and they're, they're like pretending to be their parent, and you're seeing things that are happening in your house that were scary, and so you... You get a sense of it of, that you're not sort of the only one, and um, that's good. You know, my mom would just drive us over there and drop us off. So my memories, and it was always, you know, New England. It's like it gets dark at three in the afternoon. And, you know, I remember just like these cold afternoons <laughs> in, the in the basement, basement of some church, and <laughs> you're just like a bunch of kids talking about <sighs> this crap, and it was bleak, man. Yeah. It was really 
bleak. And then I'd go go visit my dad when I got older. I drove out here, and I sort of got to know him, really, more or less, because he was sober for the first time. And and to hang out down there at the ABC Club, which is where he was, as it was called. And, and then visiting my brother up in the sort of more posh, like, Malibu rehab. It's just so many times. Yeah. It's one of these meetings yeah. and sitting in circles and <laughs> yeah. talking about it all. So when it came time, when I realized that I had to stop, yeah. I felt like I'd already put in all that time. So I just kind of white-knuckled it at home and imagined myself in a circle. And, yeah. Uh, and it worked? It worked. But you get all, and your dad's still around? Yeah, he, he's around. He's he's great. Uh, still sober? Still sober. And he dedicated his life to it. He did it, man. Yeah. So I, I mean, if he can do it, anybody yeah, can do it. It was bad, huh? It, it, was, it was bad. He could not hold a job as a bartender. He couldn't hold <laughs> yeah. a job. He was then a janitor, and he couldn't do that. The only job he could hold was like he would drink. It was to clean up the bar from four in the morning to to six, seven in the morning, which was when they would open, if it tells you what kind of bar it was. Right. So he's just there mopping the place and drinking and for a few hours every night and then uh. go home and sleep it off and drink all day. I mean, just nothing but boo- it, it, it wrecked his body. It, it just had uh, devastated his life. And your uh, mom? My mom was never a uh, uh, an addict. Uh, all but her own issue was just like being attracted to addicts. You yeah. Know? Um, How's she doing now? She's all right. She's doing great. She, you know, mid seventies, hanging in there. She's a great grandparent. Kids, grandkids. It's nice that they can, but they can like your old man could show up for your kids now. Does he? Like, yeah. it's sort of like, yeah, they know yeah, he, he grandpa's sober. They don't know him as a yeah disaster. No, they have no idea what that's like. <laughs> you know what I mean? They think they tell me like like if I tell I turn make them turn off the TV, they say they hate me. I'm the worst dad ever. I'm like, let me tell you about the worst dad ever. You want to, <laughs> you want to hear some stories about how how bad a dad can be? I'll let you know. Um, well, for the meantime, turn the TV off and go clean your room. How'd you guys both get it turn out? So you seem both like you know you seem pretty well. Like I guess was he out of the house when you were pretty young? By the time you got to a certain. Uh, he left when we were nine, but we would see him over the, you know, we would go drop uh, off his place to see him once a week. He'd be passed out or, yeah. or, or like vomiting or all bruised up from some alcohol seizure, you know, brutal yeah. things you don't want your kids to see. And, uh, and you have to spend the weekend with him while he put just himself back go together? Just for a night, yeah. just go over there, have dinner, order pizza, he sleeps through it, you know, you have dinner and <laughs> watch the little black and white TV. I mean, the things, uh, so... Pretty rough, but then um, adversity. Yeah, a little adversity. I guess if you make it through, yeah, it's okay. It makes you stronger and, and resilient in some way. And kids are tough. You know, I would never want to put my kids through what I things I had to go through. But if I had to, they'd probably be okay. You know. Well, there's an element of there's a sort of undercurrent of that in, in Manchester by the Sea of that that sort of like disastrous like your brother's relationship. Yeah, yeah, I knew what that was all about. Yeah. Um, Kyle Chandler plays that part in, in the Manchester play. He was really good. I remember I remember I read Friday Night Lights, which was a great book, and then I saw his TV show, you know? Mm-hmm. I thought he was really good. And then he had you know, in this movie, and he's such a sweet guy, and a very, just very solid in the way yeah. that the character is. Like yeah. a solid, decent guy. Yeah, and, Maybe, his, you know. and his one flaw is this, this love for this woman. Yeah. Who, Taking care of people. That's it. Yeah. You know, right? The like classic people, codependent yeah, sort yeah. of. Yeah, that whole thing was that that thing that was just mind blowing. He was really a, an amazing presence in that movie. Yeah. And then that uh, that one scene, 
I'm going to talk a little bit and then we'll wrap it up because I got to get your kids' shoes. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, you know, the scene with Michelle Williams in that, it's just like, and the, the fact that that is like really maybe the most important scene in the movie. And it just happens in passing. Man, we did that scene about four times. Uh-huh. That's it. I mean, when you're making a little movie like this, you got no time to spare. It was just like, crank, do it, get down to it. That's why preparation was so important. But yeah, man, talking sometimes talking about this movie, I get choked up. It's a really emotional story. It's so beautifully written. And the way that all the characters are treated, it really is so much like empathy and oh, love yeah. for yeah. people and their struggles yeah. and their sorrows and the mistakes that they make mm. you know like loving people who have made mistakes and not persecuting them and watching them move through life afterward like after they've dealt with tragedy and trying to carry on and seeing them carry on in different ways uh it's one of the few movies where i've thought like man i'm really proud i leave this behind because yeah. i feel like people who watch it will think in some sense, I know it sounds like it's coming out of our AA conversation, but they could have feel like, I can do it. You know what I mean? I can carry on. I can. Right. Terrible shit happens to people. Yeah. And people make terrible mistakes. Yeah. They get by and it's okay and you move on and you and, and life goes on. And, and yeah, sometimes you change. And you change. And, and even if you don't change, like the, the interesting thing about that, this movie about Manchester by the Sea is that like there is resolution, but, <laughs> but. It's not what you think. Like your character makes decisions. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. That you, you feel okay about them as someone who's watching it and you understand it, but it's not really what you expect. Yeah, and the thing is that like I'm trying to hold everyone out. Um, don't come near me. My character is kind of like, please, no one look at me. No one treat me like I'm living. No one. I don't want to be seen and I don't want to be talked to as a human being because I can't really engage with anyone emotionally yeah i can't so stay away from me yeah because i'm afraid if someone touches me or looks at me with scorn or compassion either one i'm gonna fuck fall apart i can't or handle beat the it. shit I'm out of it or beat the shit i'm barely hanging on <laughs> yeah, to myself yeah. here please yeah. just let me move through life and don't talk to me and this a kid kids don't hear that he's <laughs> like i'm not he doesn't let me he doesn't give up you know what i mean he just keeps coming back for more and, yeah. I, and most people they see in my eyes they're like desperation and vulnerability and they stay away from me and a, a teenage nephew he doesn't give a shit he's like why why yeah, yeah, why? he needs a ride yeah, yeah i need a ride get me where i'm going dude i'm in a i'm in a band i got a girlfriend i don't give a shit about your problems yeah and it draws me out you yeah know? it's such a such a beautiful uh relationship man yeah it was and it was a great movie and uh, you know i hope it uh i hope people see it yeah <laughs> me too all right man it's good talking to you thank you man thanks for having me dude. yeah yeah Okay, before uh, we go, I, I was in a nice conversation. I thought it was a cute phone call with this kid. All right, so go to WTFPog.com slash tour to check those new tour dates. And I'll, now I will play guitar for you if that's something you would enjoy. I'll, I'm going to do something on it now.
lives. 